Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. You know, I listen to Bickley and Murata. Terrific show, by the way. I really enjoy it. Bickley and Murata mornings from 6 to 10. Bickley and Murata. It's the greatest show on earth. Bickley and Murata. Good morning and welcome. Dan Bickley. Sportsman. Sports. Vince Murata. It's a power-packed morning zoo. Are you kidding me? Bickley and Murata. Bickley and Murata. I love this show. This is the greatest show in the history of radio. It's the greatest radio show ever. Bickley and Murata. I hate everything about this show. This is the worst show in the world. A tremendous Tuesday to all you Valley sports fans. Wake up, people! <laughs> Dan Bickley, Vince Morata, Jared Carlin, Sarah Cazell. And what a day in the sports town of Miami, Vinny. Not only did the Miami Heat eke out a win over the Suns, but the 72 Miami Dolphins. Oh. Aged 50 in their 50th season of being the last unbeaten team in the NFL, they all raised a glass of champagne again last sure night. sure it was champagne, unlike Metamucil at this point. Well, Larry, <laughs> Larry Zonker... Uh, from Al- Larry Zonka, of course, from Alaska, he, he tweeted out a picture of it was hard liquor. He wasn't messing around with champagne. Oh, really? Former host of American Gladiators, yeah. Larry Zonka. It was a mixture of vodka and insure. <laughs> Delicious. <laughs> and nutritious. Yeah. So, I mean, this, so there you have it. That's really a dumb thing because that 72 Dolphins team, while perfect, they weren't that good. I mean, they were good. But they weren't like Hall of Fame crazy good, like some of the 49er teams, like the 85 Bears that should have this record but blew it. In terms of dominance, I would agree with you. Now, I was a mere baby when they they made that run, mm-hmm. so all of my knowledge about that it's is same, just things same. that I've read. No, the same. I've gone back and take you go back, take a look at the records. They played most of that year with a backup quarterback, Earl Morrill. They they relied on a defense, Nick Bonacotti, Matty Fernandez. And let's face it, they only had to win 17 yeah. games. And, and that's the thing. That record, because the regular season is now 17 games, the Patriots were right there. <laughs> I mean, they were right there. They were right there. Here in Glendale, they were right there. They did beat the Patriots 52 to nothing in Whoops. Week 9 that but year. But the Patriots got to 17-0 and that year. I mean, they got to 18-0, and right? By the time they were yeah, in the they Super lost Bowl, this, they were undefeated in the Super Bowl. So they actually had a more undefeated. Doesn't wins. matter. Yeah. Doesn't matter. You have end. to have an unbeaten yeah. season. And our listener missed it because he was in jail. That's right. <laughs> it was lights That's out. Right. Lights yeah. out, everybody. Hey, once upon a time on this show, in the very, very infancy of this show, we we trotted out something called the just uh, was it the just go away club. And yeah. I think the 72 Dolphins were the first members of the members? Just Go Away Club. They, they have been over the years a little bit insufferable yeah. at times. They've kind of just gotten to the point now where they're so old they don't even it's it, they don't have any like swag they're not like bragging about yeah. it anymore it's just like oh here cheers <laughs> <laughs> can't believe I'm still alive a myrtle would you look at that they're, just, they're smoking the victory cigars yeah. in between puffs of their ventilator yeah right, exactly <laughs> honestly I hope I have glory days to hold on to that long Amen, I'm right? still waiting right where are my glory days at <laughs> glory days yeah, glory days they're coming Sarah don't worry ruthless. They're coming. Start the show, Jarrett. The 
splash. Splash. The stories making waves in the sports world. The splash. Cannonball. Cannonball coming. Cannonball coming. The splash. Brought to you by Presidential Pools, Arizona's number one pool builder. See why at presidentialpools.com. Yeah, day off today for the uh, Cardinals before they start practice for their Monday night game in Mexico. Uh, but Monday was an eventful day for the team. Cliff Kingsbury did his uh, Monday media sessions, and then after those were over, in somewhat of a surprise move, the Cardinals waved running back Eno Benjamin, who started three games during James Conner's injury. Benjamin ran for 299 yards on the season. He averaged 43 yards per carry, and his 45-yard run against the Saints is the longest play from scrimmage for the Cardinals this year. It was met with a very similar reaction on social media from fans, media members, and just observers alike. And that was, huh? Yeah, and, and as you pointed out, if did the Cardinals know that beforehand when Cliff Kingsbury was doing media availability? And wouldn't it have been nice if they did know that? Just to give people a heads up, because Eno Benjamin, you know, he's a fairly notable sun devil. And, you know, people are really curious, how could that be when Eno ben- Benjamin was a guy that Cliff Kingsbury's been raving about all year? It yeah. came out literal seconds after his interview seconds? with Doug and Wolf ended. Yes. I'm Doug and Wolf. Doug, really? <laughs> Wolf and Luke. Yeah, and you know, it, and it came out from a from a national media member again. Mm-hmm. Okay. There's a lot of questions about. Yeah, this. no doubt. And there's no doubt. Uh, Kyle Odegaard, who used to work for the Cardinals, wrote about it and um, said it was basically about dissatisfaction with a shrinking workload for Eno Benjamin and like, uh, some him? shouting matches or yeah, I, I, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. weirdness. I know. Uh, elsewhere, Ian Rappaport reported that Cardinals tight end Zach Ertz suffered a season-ending knee injury in Sunday's win against LA against the Rams. Offensive tackle DJ Humphreys is going uh, undergoing more tests on his back injury. He's day-to-day, and wide receiver Hollywood Brown, according to Cliff Kingsbury, is working toward being day-to-day, whatever that means. Uh, Brown has missed the last four games with a foot and ankle injury suffered in the Week 6 loss at Seattle. The Zach Ertz injury is, yeah, is a, a killer. That's a shame. I, I feared the worst, and then you know the reports that came out late Sunday night were like, ah, maybe they avoided worst-case scenario. Yeah. Uh, apparently they didn't. Yeah, no, it, it's it's bad because Zach Ertz brings such a good vibe to yeah. that huddle and to that offense, and, you know, it's, yeah, I feel terrible for him. Philadelphia Eagles are undefeated no more. They fell to the Washington Commanders 32-21 on Monday Night Football. Brian Robinson, Antonio Gibson each had one-yard touchdown runs. Joey Sly kicked four field goals. And the Commanders' defense forced four turnovers in handing the Eagles their first loss of the season. Eagles had three turnovers all year before last night. Uh, so the Eagles now 8-1. and one. Washington improves to 5 and 5 in the NFC East joins the AFC East as the only two divisions in football where all four teams are at 500 or better through 10 weeks. Um, probably should have been only been three turnovers for the Eagles. That Dallas Goddard fumble that uh, they missed a, an egregious face masking call mm-hmm. really swung the game and Eagles fans are really well really the, ticked about the, that. Well, the Eagles also committed an yeah. incredibly dumb roughing the passer oh. penalty at the end of that game <laughs> and you know it was it, it it just felt like it was about time for for Philly to lose a game. Yep. They're not that good. Yeah. They are not 72 They're Dolphins not that good. good. They're not that good. Uh, and you know what? The thing is, too, now, this is the, the commanders, for better or worse, that's one more team ahead of the Cardinals in the NFC. Absolutely. Carolina Panthers going back to Baker Mayfield as their starting quarterback for their Week 11 game against the Ravens on Sunday. Mayfield's been out with an ankle injury. But P.J. Walker, who went 2-3 and three as the starter since Mayfield's exit, has an ankle injury of his own. So they go back to Bakes. 
who last week was headbutting his teammates without a helmet on. Did you see that video? Oh, I did. Yeah, yeah. yeah oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Football guy. He is a football. He is definitely a football he definitely guy. Definitely is. <laughs> Tough uh-huh. one for the uh, Suns in Miami <laughs> last night as they fell to the Heat, one thirteen to one twelve. Suns led for most of the game and they led by thirteen with eight minutes to go after Tory Craig's putback. But then they went cold. They scored just ten points over the last eight minutes. Miami outscored them twenty four to ten during that run. Kyle Lowry's three with a minute thirty eight left gave Miami a two point lead. Devin Booker answered with a three of his own to put the Suns back up. Then Bam Adebayo scored on the offensive glass. Miami back in front. Cameron Payne hit a floater. Suns back in front with 46 seconds left. Adebayo would hit two free throws. And the Suns with a chance. Cameron Payne missed a driving layup. DeAndre Ayton grabbed the offensive rebound. And then Devin Booker missed two shots in the last six seconds. The first of which was blocked by Jimmy Butler as the Heat snatched the win. The Heat cashed in at the line going 22 of 25 while the Suns shot four free throws in the whole game. Yeah, to get into uh, the fan outrage, the team outrage over the d- discrepancy in officiating, and if that means anything, and then the ending. Jimmy Butler versus Devin Booker. That was about as good as it gets. Yep. Devin Booker came up short. Suns are back home for a brief one-game stay. That'll be Wednesday night at Footprint Center against the Golden State Warriors, who are still looking for their first road victory. ASU interim head football coach Sean Aguano said yesterday he believes the new coach, whether it's him or someone else, should be someone who has ties to the state and university, so he described himself anyway. ASU released a statement Monday that read, quote, Sean Iguano remains under consideration for the permanent position and will be given the full opportunity to participate in the formal process. ASU is 2-5 and five since Iguano took over for Herm Edwards. They will host Oregon State Saturday afternoon to wrap up their home schedule. Um, that's an interesting development because, you know, it was so early in the season that Herm Edwards was shown the door and ASU um, really had a head start on this process, but I don't know where they are in this process. Well, I, I hope they're somewhere. I mean, I, I hope they've been doing something. Because I, I, why, why would you waste that time? Pretty much all we know is that they have hired a search firm, right? Yes. That's Somebody from that's Corn Ferry is doing the search, I guess. I don't know. It's grown. <laughs> It's a big lump with a, a knob with a, a, whatever it is. <laughs> Michael Harris of the Atlanta Braves named the National League Rookie of the Year, beating out teammate and pitcher Spencer Strider to win the award. Brendan Donovan of St. Louis finished third. D-backs outfielder Jake McCarthy finished fourth in the balloting, getting four third-place votes. In the American League, Seattle outfielder Julio Rodriguez ran away with that award, beating out Baltimore catcher Adley Rutschman and Guardians outfielder Stephen Kwan. And uh, horrible news yesterday from college athletics uh, during a new News Conference Monday, University of Virginia President Jim Ryan said three Virginia Cavaliers football players were shot and killed. Lavelle Davis Jr., Devin Chandler, and Deshaun Perry of Miami. Authorities said the suspect in the shooting was identified as Christopher Darnell Jones Jr., a former Virginia football player, and he was apprehended without yeah, incident before 11 a.m. Tragic. Yeah, just an awful, awful situation at Virginia. Uh, there you go. There's your splash for Tuesday, November 15th. Yeah, it was a day off yesterday, but turned out to be an eventful day. We'll get into some of those events with the Arizona Cardinals next. It's Bickley and Murata live from the Ak-Chin Community Studios here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Dan Bickley, Vince Morata. Bickley and Morata Mornings. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. 
It is, yeah. We want to continue to progress him and see, you know, where that thing's at. Playing the 49ers, I mean, that's a, a D line that you better be full speed and be able to run and move and do the things that he can do. So uh, we'll see how he feels Wednesday and then try to go from there. Cliff Kingsbury, the head coach of the Cardinals, addressing the media yesterday on his quarterback, Kyler Murray, who did not uh, get his uniform on Sunday in that win over the Rams. It was Colt McCoy's show. Uh, Colt McCoy also got banged up in that game, had to leave for a portion of a series with a bit of a knee issue. Cliff Kingsbury also updated Colt McCoy's status. Same. Um, I think he felt a little better today, but we won't know much until tomorrow on Wednesday. I don't want to make uh, sound like I'm making light of it, but the Arizona Cardinals 2022 motto could be day-to-day. Yeah. Man, have they dealt with it. <laughs> yeah. Listen, uh, again, it, it's I, I, that was one of the weird things of Sunday's game was that four different quarterbacks were in it and the starters neither played on either side. It was a, it was a weird game in that regard. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what this means for this coming week. Somebody's going to have to play quarterback in Mexico City. Your guy, Trace? <laughs> oh, that's perfect. That means three in Spanish. <gasps> Whoa. Jared Carlin, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Dynamite drop in, Jared. <laughs> you are right. It does mean three. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, Wednesday will be a, a key day, and there, there's a lot of other things that unfolded yesterday, and we'll get into the Eno Benjamin situation, which I think was the juiciest of the situations yeah. yesterday. Um, look, it, it, you know, this is a, it, it sounds like there's going to have to be a difficult decision made on the quarterback position this week. You know, you heard Cliff refer to it there. Mm-hmm. You're going up against a team like the San Francisco 49ers. You're going to want your quarterback to be at full speed dealing against that yeah. defense, which is you know goes without saying. But he said it. Is and and at this point, Kyler Murray's probably not going to be full speed by Sun or Monday. Right, you would think. Um, I'm sticking to what I said yesterday, and it seems like there's a lot of fuzziness and maybe not a lot of comprehension of what's going on on these discussions. Like the quarterback controversy situation. I don't think there's a quarterback controversy, and nobody is saying that Colt McCoy is a better quarterback than Kyler Murray, but... You know, the, the Arizona Cardinals are in a situation where they need wins, Ben. Yeah. Oh, no, listen. And I, they've made it clear that that's important to them. It, it's very interesting to me that there's a, there's a segment of, of Cardinals media and Cardinal fans who think this job should automatically go back to Kyler Murray, that he that he somehow has dominion over that. And I, I think that's kind of crazy to me. And, and I get the idea that he is the long-term guy, and I get the idea Cliff Kingsbury has to develop him. But, but in the moment, coming out of that game, the way uh, the offense function, I don't know why you wouldn't want to use this time to explore that and to show Kyler Murray a little tough love, which I think he needs some. But but I think also coming in, playing into this is the fact that, that Colt McCoy might be a little more banged up than, than I thought he was coming out, because I, I still thought he was functioning well at the end of the game. I thought even so, though, too. Even though he left for a series mm-hmm. and, and Trice McSorley came into the game. Uh, <laughs> If, and, and he doesn't have to be mobile to play, but but I would think, really, I would think if if Colt McCoy is feeling discomfort in his knee, I don't know why Kyler Murray couldn't strap it up and play. I mean, he did play that second half of the Seattle game, and he took off last week. I, I don't know why he couldn't gut through a game if it was either him at 98% and Trace McSorley at 100%. I, that, to me, you would really expect Kyler Murray to step up and play in that situation. And, and, 
And, you know, if conventional wisdom is right, they're just going to hand this thing back to Kyler Murray anyways if he's ready. Um, what's interesting about it, it's a Monday night game, and mm-hmm. it really is uh, another one of those pivot moments in the season. And for all the, for all the weirdness that has accompanied the Cardinals this year, and there has been a lot, folks. <laughs> That's an understatement. There has been a lot. For all the weirdness that has accompanied this football team, you know, they're 2-0 and in games that I think they've been right on the brink. And that would have been the Thursday night against New Orleans. You had to have that or everything was circling the drain. They got that in, in a game that was just weird in and of itself. And then last week, you know, in Los Angeles, that was another one of those games that if you lose it, you're not coming back. So so you've, they've, they've found a way to produce in two different moments on the brink. This is a third one on the brink, and it's against a San Francisco team that looks to some people like they're rounding into form a little bit. Now, mm-hmm. it, but you got to remember, this is the NFL, and, and teams that look great one week, they may not, not look great the next week. So this That's idea true. of the 49ers rounding into form, it's kind of a, a real lazy narrative. I don't think that really exists in the NFL, but... They are facing a 49ers team that is starting to fold back a lot of players into the lineup that have been hurt. That's what you can't deny. You can't deny the fact that they are getting healthy, yep. which is a weird thing for them. That's a team that's been ravaged by injuries as well. Mm-hmm. You're right. The other thing, the rounding into form, playing up to potential, that's a crapshoot. You don't know what's going to happen no. there. Um, the, the big mystery, the unknown in this whole Kyler Murray, Colt McCoy thing really is what is what is the condition of that hamstring? You said it, Kyler Murray. We know he tweaked it before the end of the first half against Seattle. He played. I don't think that was that was not visible to anybody no. in his play in the second half. Um, now, he didn't play. Was he close to playing Sunday against the Rams? We had a feeling it, it would probably be Colt. Um, just because, like I said, I want Kyler to be able to be 100% and really take off. In the last game, he wasn't able to really separate like he can when he gets in those open spaces, and that's a big weapon for him. Remember what I was saying? They're going to use that phrase 100% a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. No, they're going to. There's definitely there's definitely that. In real time, when I started to see this, I thought, oh, that's, that's a convenient reason to, to, to blame your fumble. Uh, on a hamstring that suddenly limited you and you couldn't open on the play. He, he didn't look marginalized to me at all. I'll be honest with you. Even on that scramble, it didn't look like he was being, that he was like in in fourth gear and not fifth gear. I don't know. It, again, maybe maybe he was, but to me, I just, I think that if Colt McCoy can't go, I think it's every expectation to believe Kyler Murray has to go. You would think. I yeah. mean, again, with with the situation being what it is, I'm not completely moving off what I said after the Seattle game that it was over and you can't keep delaying these must-win no. situations and you know placing increased importance on every game because you failed to do it the week before but I'll give the Cardinals credit they found a way to to, to win they won a, a you know a very convincing game against uh, the Rams on Sunday mm-hmm. and they've placed themselves in a situation where they can make that claim. I, I don't again. know if it was a convincing game. I, I, I think they were just, I think it was okay. I, I talked to a guy in the NFL who, who watched the game objectively and said it was two trash teams. Which is, is fair. Convincing in the fact that, you know, until until garbage yeah, time, it was a 17-point well, advantage. Convincing in the fact that they got ahead yes. in that game, yes. which allowed them to kind of just, you know, play their game of football. Their game of football. So, and listen, I'm, I'm not trying to take away from that either. I'm just trying to deal with the reality of the situation because even though the Cardinals have life, they still don't look anything near a playoff team, but they did buy themselves some time. Now, this time that they bought themselves is this high-profile game in Mexico City. Now, mm-hmm. I've been to that stadium. It is a trip. 
Uh, it is. It's the 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 stands. The levels are very very steep, so it feels like people are right on top of you. They've got the riot fencing, or at least they used to, on the lowest level, mm-hmm. right? Because they don't want the fans, you know, chucking stuff, right? You know what I mean? Getting on the field or getting on the field that too. And it's it, it. You stand there and you look at it. You're like, okay, this is different, and the altitude there is different, and it's it, it, it's it's going to be a unique experience that the Cardinals have to go in at 100 miles an hour to, and embrace it because you know these two teams hooked up in Mexico City before these same two teams, and it was a resounding perceptual victory for the Cardinals, not just the Cardinals, the Cardinals organization. They did a- everything from a PR standpoint. They just schooled the 49ers. I'll never forget that. It's like they're. Robert Griffith came onto the flat field carrying that Mexico flag, yep. and people are going nuts. Neil, and every time they kicked the ball, the crowd went nuts because they're used to soccer, and they really cheer the element of somebody kicking a ball, right? <laughs> I'm not kidding you. Yeah. It was like they were going crazy for field goals. It was so. This is going to be a unique experience for them. I don't know. I, I don't know where their schedule is. I know last time they did this, it was sort of a goodwill ambassador tour, so they had to get in early. Yeah. I don't know if that's still the case anymore. I'm not sure. Uh, and I think it's kind of up to the teams. We we've seen teams that have traveled to Europe. Yeah. Uh, I think Seattle went a lot earlier than than Tampa Bay did, yeah. and they thought that that would be an advantage. Didn't turn out to be an advantage. You know, less of a factor because you're not you know you're not crossing you know, you're going over to Europe. It, it's right. you know a minimal time change thing, but. Well, that's that's what was so weird about that vibe coming off that Germany game is it was like they were so into everything and it was like wow, it, it, in Mexico City when I was there it's it's it was a little different it was like it, it, you were aware that the audience was looking at the game and at you in a different kind of way yeah right it, you you knew that your crowd was not a typical football crowd yeah. and it's like you read about some of these soccer matches and it it's it's eventually if games go on between two rival teams you'll see nobody in the lower bowl the fans will like fan up to get out of firing range of the fans on the other side so if they start that this is how crazy it can be in some of these soccer venues now and again and i think that you know for the, an nfl game it's not going to be like that no but but it's going to be a different vibe for Absolutely. them and so they're going to have to really buy into this we've got an opportunity thing and so so and i and i know a guy like buddha baker is so is Kyler Murray going to be that guy? Because at some point in time, he's got to cross that Rubicon. Yeah, he's got to step it. up and play a good game, getting through bumps and bruises and tweaks and strains and deliver. Yep. You can text your thoughts to the FanDuel text line at 620-620 right now. Coming up next, Suns wrapped up a rough road trip in a rough way last night in South Florida, losing to the Heat. We'll get into it next. It's Bickley Murata Mornings here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Down to 10 seconds, the shot clock's off. Suns down one with the ball. Booker, pull up, elbow jumper. No, it's blocked by Butler, but he got it back. Three seconds left. Booker for three. No, it's short, and that'll do it. Devin Booker fired the three from almost the exact spot. He made it just moments ago, and the Miami Heat get out of here with a win. 113-112, to 112, the final. John Bloom on the final call, Suns Radio Network last night. The final seconds of a tough one for the uh, Suns, as you heard the uh, final score, 113-112. Miami wins it. Three cracks at it after... 
um, you know, on that last possession, you had the layup by Cameron Payne, you had the offensive rebound by DeAndre Ayton, and and you heard the last two shots there by Devin Booker. And I thought for a split second when 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 Book let that three pointer go, I was like, oh man, this has got a chance. Wasn't that close? No. Uh, and the Suns uh, fall in a in a really really rough game. Yeah, uh, for them. For, yes, for, it was. A, for a number of reasons. Yes, it was. I thought the ending was uh, fascinating. I thought overall it was. Uh, I thought it was a very good night for the Phoenix Suns from a couple of different perspectives. I thought the bench. I thought what Dwayne Washington Jr. Oof. gave the team was so awesome, and you wonder if if he could be kind of like a an instant offense microwave kind of guy consistently off the bench. And I I don't see why he couldn't be given that shot. Uh, I really like the energy he brought to that game, and and you hope it isn't just a one one off. Then you had that great confrontation between Jimmy Butler and Devin Booker at the end of the game, which was uh, didn't work out good for Devin Booker. And and again, this is uh, I think somewhere in the evolution he's of him as a player, he's got to start winning these battles, these end yeah. game battles against elite defenders. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we, you know, we famously saw one at the end of Game Five against Drew Holiday, and then last night against Jimmy Butler, who's an elite defensive player. He got the better of D Book, but again, this was a, a last possession that got a little out of control from a Phoenix Suns perspective. Da gets the offensive rebound. And what you would like a big man in that situation to do is turn around and go right back up with the basketball because that's how you're going to get a foul call mm-hmm. from the NBA refs. True. That, that's if if you you know when we get to this conversation about the refs, this is that's where it begins. Da decided to, to kick the ball out. He found Mikael Bridges. Mikael moved it along to Devin Booker. Could have taken the shot if he wanted, but then he got it to Devin Booker, which is probably where the ball belongs. Sure. But at that time, it felt kind of frenzied, and and I walked away from it from that game going. Okay, that's an example of this team missing Chris Paul yeah. to getting the team organized and getting the ball to the right place and making these decisions for his team. Yeah, Aiton did explain that he couldn't go up after the offensive rebound. I couldn't. Um, you know, those last uh, second shots or you know when it's that time in the court, I feel my arms. I feel like my arms couldn't go up. And I only had one arm to get to get free, and I felt like I was traveling. To be honest, like it was. I was getting slapped. I was getting pulled. And I was in the paint, so I had to think fast and you know, just try to get it out there, get it out of there quick. Couldn't that? Wow. I mean, that's an interesting word to oh use there. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you probably couldn't score there, but could you have drawn the foul? You wonder too. The last time DeAndre Ayton had end game free throw situation didn't go very well. That second game of the year up in Portland. Oh, I you didn't wonder if, if, if that. that's in his mind. Of course, there was time left. Do you want to leave time left for, for Miami? If you do get a, a shot attempt or or free throws, there was a lot in that mix. But you mentioned the word frenzied, and I think that's a good word to describe what happened. Monty Williams uh, did reflect on that and said he probably should have handled that differently from a coaching standpoint. About five seconds, I probably should have called a timeout once he got the ball back. You think the book can, you know, he had already made a couple of unreal shots. That, that's a lot of pressure to have on one guy to keep coming through situations like that. Yeah, I mean, it's a damned if you do, damned if you don't thing. If you call the timeout, you're allowing Miami, who was really good defensively in the fourth quarter, to set up that defense, as opposed to oh. you know maybe capitalizing on the frenzy. No. It didn't work out You don't out have to way. micromanage everything like that. that no. was, those moments like that, those endgame moments that materialize out of nowhere and it's motto imano, that's, that, that's be- basketball at its breathtaking best to me. Those are the moments where everything just kind of like 
music fades and there's just two superstars staring yeah. each other down. And, those and, those are great moments in in basketball. And earlier, I think earlier in the fourth quarter, Booker had a had a tough and one against Jimmy Butler uh, in a key situation. And like you said, Butler got the the, the last laugh on, on Booker with that block shot, which he played brilliantly. By the way, Jimmy Butler's just. He's just a hardcore. He's an dude. animal. Yeah, um, he's, he's and I mean that in a very good way. Yeah. He's he's a hardcore dude and he's uh yeah, he's a great team leader. All right, the other elephant in the room is 25 to 4 was the free throw differential. I uh, I ran the numbers on that Bick. There has been only 10 games in NBA history in the regular season where that's been a differential. Uh one team with four or less free throws, another team with 25 or more. So the Suns become the tenth team that that uh, occurs for uh, twenty eight to five. <laughs> twenty eight to five, or twenty five to four in this case. Mm-hmm. Um, that was huge. They, they talked about that a lot after the game. Uh, Monty Williams, uh, you know, talked about the free throw differential. You look at the stat sheet. You look at situations like that. We only end up with four free throws for the game. That is hard to swallow. I think it's the second lowest free throw total we've ever had in franchise history. In a physical game like that where everybody's bumping, we only get four free throws. You know, this is becoming really hard to swallow. And uh, you feel like you can't even talk about it because you're going to be fine. But that that's that's an unreal amount of free throws in, a, in any NBA game. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, down the stretch, we, we could have done some things. We let them get a bunch of offensive rebounds, but we got a bunch of offensive rebounds. We only had one free throw in the first half. That was an illegal defense. Yeah, uh, an illegal. So that, you know, that's a tough pill to swallow. There was one trip to the line for the Suns that was a two-shot foul. Mm. In the first 24 minutes of basketball, the first half, Miami committed one foul. Has that ever happened before? <laughs> I'm not yeah, saying they weren't playing great yeah, defense. No, but. Yeah, listen, no, I think, I think, yeah, I think there's a lot that goes into it. And it's, it's, I, I think that if you're the Phoenix Suns, what you have to do is you have to talk to the league about this. You have got to bring that to their attention just to, because generally in the NBA, you know this, at halftime, the refs get the stat sheet, they take a uh-huh. look at it, and if there's a glaring discrepancy, yes. they do a little cleanup work early in the third quarter and kind of balance the numbers out a little, or late in the fourth quarter and balance the numbers out a bit. That didn't happen. Um, I, I think we both know that Devin Booker and, and Campaign are really the only guys who attack the basket. Um, Devin Booker's really the only guy who attacks the basket on the team with any physicality to his game. So it, it, your style True. of play, your style of play as an offense, it, you play into this. Yes. Um, and, and, but but you do have to make the league aware of stuff like this because that's a pretty glaring discrepancy. I, I down the stretch of the game, I didn't see anything down the the, the last four or five minutes where I'm like, oh, come on, give this team a freaking break. But at the same time, you look at those numbers, and that's pretty severe. And yeah. Monty Williams has to stick up for his team. He's got to say what he did because his players are thinking, come on, coach, go say something about this. Absolutely, and the players were talking about it as well. And you're, you're right. I mean, style of play definitely factors into it. The Phoenix Suns, the way they play basketball... And when you have a center who doesn't get to the line very much, they're not going to be one of those high free throw attempt teams. They're just not. But four I know. It's, in 48 minutes in a tight game it like It looks that? terrible. Yeah. It, it really does. It, it And for a, for a market that really does believe that referees, not the entire market, but a good portion of, of Suns fans really do believe the league has it out for them, it, this, you, it, 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 perceptually this becomes an issue. 
Yes. I, so I think so I think the Suns have to do what they said they're going to do. You got to raise this to the NBA because you've got to uh-huh. you need an explanation. Explain this to me. Yeah, I mean, this is not something that they can uh, explain away on the last two-minute report. This this might go deeper than that. Um, and somebody pointed out to me on Twitter last night, didn't Bick tell you, Vince, that uh, the Suns have got the best, what, some of the best uh, yeah, officiating? I've got, yeah, no, I've got that handy. We'll get back into it. We can't yeah. do it now, but I, yeah, no, I've got it right in front of me. Yeah, I want to see I want to see that, okay. actually. Uh, Innings Festival is back. The two-day music festival features uh, Green Day, Eddie Vedder, Weezer, The Offspring, and many more, and it returns to Tempe Beach Park on February 25th and 26th. Tickets are on sale, but you can Head to the contest page at ArizonaSports.com for complete details and for your chance to win. Coming up next week, 10 in the books in the NFL. We had passionate Germans. We had crying quarterbacks. We had a bit of everything. We'll get into it in hash marks next. It's Bickley and Murata Mornings here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Bickley and Murata Mornings, Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Bickley and Murata. Hash marks. That was one of the great uh, football experiences I've ever had. So it says a lot for 23 years in the league and for a regular season game. And I think the fan turnout was incredible. It felt like uh, very electric from the time we took the field. So uh, at the end of the game with them singing Sweet Caroline and uh, Country Row, that was that was pretty epic. So I think everyone who's a part of that experience uh, got to got to have some pretty, uh, pretty amazing memory for their life. So thank you for hosting us. We appreciate it. Thank you. Tom Brady. Of the Buccaneers over the moon about his Germany experience. Not only that, they got a win. The Buccaneers got a big win over the Seahawks. Yeah, uh, to make things a little bit more interesting in the NFC West. But uh, man, to say that one of the best football experiences of his life in twenty three years. Uh, did that's, you that's, did you did you watch the game Sunday I did, morning? I did. Yeah, I, I, it it jumped off the screen to me the minute I turned on. I said there is something different happening yes. here. There was a different level of engagement in that place. It was electrifying. And and so I think that's what he was uh he was he was saying. We're gonna talk to Kurt Warner later today. Kurt was in Germany for that game as part of the NFL network and and I can't wait to hear what he has to say about it. Yeah. Um yeah. to, to talk to somebody who was actually there in that environment and a guy who's been in a ton of stadiums. Uh yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to that as well. The other thing that people were talking about with Tom Brady was look, it's not all on Tom Brady. It looked like a foolish it, it looked foolish when it was said and done. Um, you know, when they tried to throw the pass to him. That was one of the horrible play calls of the year, by the way, going yeah. in for a for a just a real momentum seizing touchdown, and that's the play you call. Let's throw a pass to our forty five year old quarterback. Tom Brady claims he was trying to get Leonard Fournette's attention to tell him don't do it. Yeah, because he, he did. saw it. Because he saw it. And Terry Quillen, I'm telling you, this kid is legit. He's really, we talk about a ball hawk. Yeah, uh, but oh. here's uh, here's Tom Brady's explanation. I wasn't very close today. Unfortunately, that corner is a former college receiver who jumps a lot higher than me. And is much more athletic. I was hoping to be wide open, and I probably was on the first one. And uh, I think they were pretty clued on the second one. They said, "Cover him, cover him." And I was on the sideline. And I tried to yell, "Lenny, no!" But it was too late, and uh, the ball went up in the air. And I was trying to just whatever, jump up and knock it down. But I ended up falling on my face. That uh, no, 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 no. You ended up kicking your opponent. <laughs> he got called for tripping on that play. You were right. Probably but, the first time he's been called for tripping in his life. Yeah, but it was a very dirty play from Tom Brady. Yeah. Um, that being said, big picture for the Buccaneers. We talked earlier about the San Francisco 49ers labeled as a team where, hey, things are kind of rounding back into shape. The Buccaneers have had offensive line issues all year. They ran the ball very effectively, whether it was Fournette or Rashad White, the former Sun Devil. They're back to 500 at 5-5 five and five after consecutive wins. Yeah. They're in there by with seven games left. 
their schedule afterwards is you know on paper I have to stress that it's not that daunting. No. The Buccaneers might be back. Uh, I don't. I don't think there is a might. I think the the way uh, the, part of the reason one of my takeaways from that game, other than just the great ambiance in Munich, was uh, the horror of watching the Bucks kind of morphing into that Super Bowl kind of caliber team again, uh-huh. and, and that's that's a little alarming to me. Uh, because if if you were to ask me, okay, who are the and we're going to get into the NFC later. I understand this. If you're going to say who are the best teams in the NFC, you've got to you got to pay respect to the Eagles and the Vikings for the victories. You've got to pay respect to the Dubs. But if you're asking me who am I the most scared of, you'd probably say San Francisco and Tampa, and then you'd probably give Tampa the edge because of Tom Brady mm-hmm. and what he does in situational playoff football. Th- that Tampa defense just dismantled Seattle. Seattle, to their credit, they kept fighting, and their defense never buckled, and they they, they kept in that game, yeah. but, but that Seahawks offense was just smothered. Which they haven't been as of late. No. Uh, another big storyline from Week 10 was uh, all eyes on the Indianapolis Colts and Las Vegas Raiders in Vegas. You'd think, why? Why would that be? Jeff Saturday getting the job, his first win, a team that he had just criticized on Twitter a couple weeks earlier, and the Raiders, who have been a dumpster fire this year, and it turned into a dumpster fire afterwards. Here's Derek Carr getting a, a bit emotional on the podium. I, you know, I don't think so. Uh... I love I love Josh. I love the car. I love our coaches. Um, they've had nothing but success, you know, way more success than I've ever had, you know. And uh, you know, I'm sorry, Derek. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sorry. Continue to finish that. Sorry for being emotional. I'm just pissed off about some of the things, you know, that a lot of us try and do just to practice what we put our bodies through just to sleep at night. And for that to be the result of all that effort, this is me off. This is a lot of guys off. It's hard knowing what some guys are doing. Like I said, just to practice what they're putting in their body just to sleep at night. Like just so we can be there for each other. And I wish everybody in that room felt the same way about this place. And as a leader, that pisses me off. If I'm being honest, you know sometimes, Bick, when yeah. people uh, people drink, they you know an accent comes out. Apparently, when Derek Carr cries, he turns into a cowboy. Yeah, I noticed that. <laughs> Very kind of uh, yeah. I guess it did some kind, kind of, of a cowboy vibe. Your reaction to that? Uh, a couple things. I I think what what Derek Carr is saying is that there's clearly there's uh, there's something going wrong on the interior of that football team. Yes. there must be some guys who are not you know really on board pulling their all. weight. Yeah, yeah. And so I think that's what Derek Carr is referencing. And and then also I think just the the indignity of it all to have to have Bill Cower come out and just rip. Just rip Indianapolis for doing what they did with their head coach, saying no matter what happens from here, this is a travesty, and and to have Joe Thomas go full on, and then to have Josh McDaniels lose to that team mm-hmm. to a hire that was that ridiculous that it it prompted that kind of reaction. Make no mistake about it. Yeah, people had and Josh McDaniels getting a second chance all these years later, and there was another layer to this as well because Josh McDaniels left the Colts at the altar once upon a time before. Oh, yeah. Frank Reich took that job. 
Josh McDaniels is a coordinator. He's a horrible, horrible head coach. And he got the vote of confidence yesterday from Mark Davis. The owner said, I think he's doing a fantastic job. As I pointed out on Twitter, Mark Davis also thinks his hairstylist is doing a fantastic job. So that's not the the, the most glittering endorsement. Um, Derek Carr getting uh, emotional like that. The part that kind of bothered me is like, I get it. Football's a really hard game. There's a lot of good teams where guys are killing themselves and 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 and, and you know mm-hmm. figuratively speak or figuratively speaking to get on the field and to be able to sleep at night. Mm-hmm. Um, Bart Scott from from ESPN Radio went even further than that. With the financial stability guy comes great responsibility. Mm-hmm. It ain't easy being a leader, man. Just, Quit being soft. Mm-hmm. Step up and be a leader. Say this guy ain't getting it done. And, and deal with the consequences. Be man enough that when that man come to you, be able to check him. That's what leaders do. Mess with all the other twitch, everybody. Shut up, man. You sound soft. And if that's the leadership you got, you got soft leadership, which means a soft team. And I'm not talking about soft physically. I'm talking about soft emotionally and mentally. Y'all weak. Y'all soft. I don't think Bart Scott is out of line. I don't think Bill Cower was out of line with his comments on the Colts situation. Um, it's just a lot of weirdness in that game. I can't believe how embarrassing this season has been from the Raiders, starting with that seventeen nothing blown lead against the Cardinals. And yeah. I, I can't, I can't believe how ineffective Josh McDaniels is as a head coach. That he's he's at the front of a two and seven football team. Mm-hmm. They were in the playoffs last year. I, it's yeah. stunning to me.